Are you ready to unlock the power of innovation? Become a member of the Consumer Technology Association and engage with a community of innovators. As a CTA member, you'll access cutting-edge research, connect with industry leaders, and shape industry standards. Enjoy exclusive discounts, CES perks, and invaluable networking opportunities. Visit cta.tech and be a part of advancing the technology industry. This is CES Tech Talk. I'm James Kotecki. CES 2024 is January 9th through 12th in Las Vegas, and it is time to build that hype. So let's get smart about the world's most influential tech event. And of course, nothing says influential like a CES keynote address. And at CES 2024, L'Oreal CEO Nicholas Hieronymus will take the stage to deliver the event's first ever keynote from a beauty company. And joining me now to talk about the future of beauty tech is L'Oreal's Global Managing Director of Augmented Beauty and Open Innovation, Guive Baluk. Thank you so much for joining us, Guive. Thank you for having me. Okay, so first of all, you have an awesome title, Managing Director of Augmented Beauty and Open Innovation. What does that actually mean at L'Oreal? Well, I've been at the group now for 16 years. It's hard to believe, but it's 16 years now. And I run two entities within the research and innovation of the group. The first is all of the tech and services that go around the co combination of science, technology, and beauty together. So all of that kind of what we're coming to the CES for every year. And we started that back in 2012. And I'm also running all the partnerships with startups, which is what the Open Innovation pieces, which is all the way from biotech to synthetic biology, all the way to technology itself, um, like deep tech. So I have a, it's a long uh, title, but with a really cool job. And this is interesting because I think it is significant that L'Oreal is giving a keynote address at CES. L'Oreal has been very successful at CES for many years, as you're saying, um, and it's hasn't you know some of it's been behind closed doors, but certainly it's had a, a public-facing success at CES. I still imagine there might be people who hear about this keynote address and scratch their heads and think, "What's a beauty company doing at CES?" But uh, how do you kind of contextualize and explain that to people who are really just kind of coming to this idea of beauty tech for the first time? How do we kind of get grounded in what this means? I think the best way to explain it to you is to tell you about the story about L'Oreal and, and our vision of beauty. I mean, we started as a company over 110 years ago by a chemist. Um, it was a chemist that um, created the first hair color dye in the salon. And over time, um, you know, the appetite for innovation and beauty and the consumer for beauty has just grown um, no matter what the economic um, world is like, what society has shifted, beauty has always been something that has become more and more essential. Um, and on top of that, we're the largest beauty company in the world today. We have over 35 brands, brands that you may not know are L'Oreal, like Kiehl's, uh, Maybelline, Garnier, um, Lancome, um, Kerastase. All of these are brands that um, are actually part of the L'Oreal portfolio. And so um, about 10 to 12 years ago, we had seen that um, more and more of this kind of dynamic shift in, the, in society and the world around individuality, hyper-personalization, the need to understand my beauty habits and needs thanks to data so that I can have the best product over time. 
we're all going to be powered by technology. And so we took this bet like around um, 2012 to come to the CES to try and be part of the tribe, but to try and understand what it would really mean for the future of our industry and our consumer, rather than taking just a tech trend approach to it. And over mm -hmm. the last 10 years, we've been coming every year with a new service that combines um, the, the kind of beauty product with digital or physical technology, but to ultimately serve a need, to serve attention, that um, our consumers have that have been around for age uh, for ages. So I know it seems like it's something that's uh, unique and different, but actually beauty and technology come together so mm -hmm. well because in the end, um, the the needs of consumers around beauty are so deep, and um, and technology is a real way to solve them. I did actually not know that, that Kiehl's was a L'Oreal product, but I was applying that moisturizer yeah. in Las Vegas uh, for my on-camera <laughs> interviews that I was doing uh, there earlier this there year go. in January, and I think it saved uh, myself a lot of dry skin. So I appreciate that. The chemistry works. Uh, but we're here to talk about go. a lot of these. <laughs> but it's so interesting that you can kind of combine nowadays. Obviously, there is this kind of baseline of, of chemistry. There's physical products that are out there that people are buying and applying. And we can talk about some of the digital ways that people choose to buy those and apply those. But I think what people might, you know, stand out from your from your title, for example, is this idea of augmented beauty. It seems to kind of hint at digital kind of augmented reality. So it's this it's it's hard to even know exactly how to start articulating this question, but even since 2012, the world has dramatically changed in the way that people think about their online presence, the way that they represent themselves on social media, the way that they might use, you know, filters and editing to change their appearance, the way they see themselves, the way they want others to see them. So, how does L'Oreal, a, a company that has a storied history of making these physical products, start to think about operating in this increasingly digital world? Yeah, I think you hit on a number of points that are really in, important. I mean, when we say augmented beauty, for us, it means um, taking beauty to the next level. And this idea that um, more and more we're going to need to be more individualistic when it comes to our relationship with our consumers. We're going to need to let them shop and um, diagnose their beauty in different touch points, whether it's virtual or physical. We're going to need to connect those so that they can have the most seamless experience. Um, and ultimately, it all comes down to, um, you know, the big tensions that people have around their beauty. And I'll give you some examples. In 2014, we launched the first virtual makeup mirror, which allowed people using AR be, be able to virtually try makeup and be able to then physically buy that product. The tension is that you have thousands of choices when you go to a point of sale or a retail mm -hmm. environment. And you can't physically try all of them. And so what we wanted to do was to allow people to have this kind of virtual way to choose the best product for them. Um, and that ultimately allows people um, the freedom to be able to dare and try, but also to be able to buy the right product. And over time, what we've done is we've brought new services that combine physical, digital, but also the formula. Um, sometimes we find that um, we, we needed products where, for example, 50% of people can't get the right shade of foundation today. 
And that's primarily because you don't have enough shelf space to have the same amount of products as you do skin tone. And so we created a machine called the Tom Particulier that allowed people to get that perfect shade out of 22,000 options powered by data. In the end, they get the physical product, but it's powered by tech. So um, we've done many things all the way from digital touch points to um, measurements, sciences to be able to measure your skin tone and your hair to also making your life easier um, when it comes to using those products that people have had sometimes challenges in terms of mess like hair color that now are products mm-hmm. like Color Sonic Salt. So I think we start with what people need, which is hasn't changed. And we try to backfill it with the right technology that allows people to get to that augmented mm-hmm. level of performance that they want. Making some big news uh, your company did with uh, disability tech, um, with the ability to apply uh, makeup for folks who might have challenges you know, physically applying it to their face. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, this is this kind of um, real uh, exciting project that we unveiled last year, which is um, what we call assistive beauty tech. And this idea that um, today I'll start with kind of the, the issue, which is that one in seven people in the world today have a disability. One in 10 people in the world today have um, a limited hand or arm mobility issue, meaning that things like Parkinson's or um, stroke or rheumatoid arthritis or, you know, um, uh, brain injury, paraplegia, all of these, I could list them forever, um, can create a challenge where people can actually experience beauty with their own hands and their own arms. And that's a huge community, one in seven. So what we wanted to do was to find a way to allow people who have these kinds of mobility challenges to experience the products that we have um, and to experience any of the kinds of ranges of products. So we started with lipstick and we partnered with a startup called Verily, which is part of Alphabet, that had created a really um, ex- cool spoon mm. for people that had these kinds of mobility challenges oh, where yeah. it will follow using AI. It will follow your mouth and allow you to eat with your own hands. And we just will try to find a way to create a version for makeup that we now call Hapta, which is... Um, Really, the the it brings back my point about kind of this essentiality of beauty and the fact that this community should have the accessibility to our products as much as any other community. How do you think about the balance between this idea of hyper individuality and people getting precisely what they need for themselves? With obviously, you know, beauty is a really I, we can get super philosophical, and I think I read some, you know, Victorian poetry about the nature of beauty in high school, right? And I'm still trying yeah. to figure out w- what essentially is this thing that we're talking about. But when we talk about yeah. beauty, it is hyper individual, but it's also a societal thing, right? I want to appear beautiful, obviously, because I usually because I think someone else is is looking at me, right? There's some element of this is the. I, I may be using the wrong term, but like this is the correct way to apply makeup versus not. But so, how do you kind of live in that tension, and how does technology kind of uh, help you kind of navigate through that tension? Well, I think you know first we have to start with the right values of what people really want to achieve. For example, when you look at AR and the ability to use AR to find the right product, the tension there is that I want to virtually try something before I apply it, not to add a filter to my face or to do these kinds of things that is a different type of thing for me. The the point of, you know, beauty being something essential and um, about bringing confidence 
is about people being able to achieve their desired result, no matter their skill level, no matter who they are, no matter where they live. Um, and if you think about it, this is the perfect problem to solve thanks to technology. I mean, I'll use some concrete examples. Today, I don't know what is the right skincare for me. That means that I need to have um, online diagnostics that allow me to understand what my skin type is, what what kind of um, you know um, products would be um, uh, be tailored to it. But even deeper, like our recent um, project with Verily, which was around running a huge clinical study to understand biomarkers and the proteins and microbiome mm-hmm. in the skin. Today, thanks to tech, we're able to get measurements like that quickly. So if we can unlock those, we can help people have the ultimate hyper-personalization? Or how do I achieve the perfect makeup result like my eyebrow, where recently we launched um, Brow Magic, allowing just thanks to a little applicator, we showed it at CES last year, you see with AR what shape of brow you want, and you just move it and it shapes it for you. Um, And then skill level doesn't become a barrier to me achieving what I desire. Understanding my skin or hair doesn't anymore become something of a mystery and making me audition in a way that is um, not as effective. And now tech will allow us to kind of solve all of those. More and more that we will see society shift, more we will need to be individualistic with our relationship with people when it comes to their beauty needs. Um, And technology allows us to do that. So I think, um, you know, we have to start with that. And then um, we find which ones are the ones that are the the, um, best scenarios to solve thanks to tech. And how has uh, how have recent advancements in generative AI altered your roadmap or your thinking about what's possible, if at all? I, for example, I've seen a technology where you can upload a picture and it gives you, you know, dozens of different self-portrait options, you know, portraying you in, mm-hmm. in different lighting, for example. And one can easily imagine this kind of technology being applied to to beauty as well in some of the ways that you're already talking about, I suppose, but maybe pushing the boundaries further in terms of the the suggestions that the AI is giving you, or maybe giving you different combinations of things that you wouldn't have, uh, have otherwise thought of. Is that is that the kind of thing that you might think about with generative AI? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if we use just the idea of AI itself, like, you know, a few years ago, five, six years ago, we were um, already um, starting to embed um, artificial intelligence in how we look at um, finding the right molecules of the future for science in our um, beauty science. Mm-hmm. We looked at, we, it's inside a lot of our, our projects today that are beauty tech around like the magic brow I just uh, told you about was built with an, a deep learning model. Um, but in the end, it's usually a combination of technology. And I think um, in uh, that's kind of the beauty of being able to do this for a, over a decade is we have a lot of kind of assets now that come together that allows us to solve. But to answer your question about Gen AI, I mean, there's no doubt that that's going to have a major influence on the beauty um, consumer experience to, of tomorrow. The question is, um, in what places will it allow us to propel to do? Um, and also the level of accuracy of how it does it is going to be very important. So um, there are examples, like you mentioned about lighting, there are potentials to be able to um, use it to be able to help us to um, develop the science of the future for beauty. There is the ability of new services that could be powered by that. There's way how marketing and advertising can be um, uh, modernized and hyper-personalized. I think um, right now what we're trying to do is um, really play in that field where, where we were 10 years ago with digital, 10 or 15 years ago, we are now with Gen AI and trying to see <laughs> yeah. what are those right places to embed it in. 
And do all roads eventually lead to, you know, you're, you're in the digital world, you're looking at your options and you're maybe you're, you're, you're using a lot of technology to generate this stuff, but do all roads eventually lead to a physical product being applied to a physical, uh, you know, human piece of skin or are you all, are you thinking about things like the metaverse, where you know if I'm a clothing brand, I'm thinking about how do I sell my my clothing brand or my my brand of uh, handbags in the metaverse to potentially you know people's avatars or do you do you think about uh, playing in those kind of completely virtual spaces where the end product is effectively a digital one? We think about both. I think in the end of the day, the way we look at it is to see how our consumers are experiencing beauty. So if you look at, for example, our most recent launch of Microsoft Teams collaboration with Maybelline New York on virtual makeup, that's not a physical product. It's a ability to apply digital makeup um, while you're having a, a, you know, a meeting um, and don't have the time to physically apply. And we live in a world today where people want yeah. to have that kind of interaction virtually and don't necessarily need a physical product at that moment um, in the touch point. I think that people, there is a joy and delight of people being able to physically use beauty products and that will continue, but there will be an additional layer where people will be experiencing beauty in the metaverse and mm -hmm. other um, potential touch points um, that we need to innovate on as well. I think what matters is, so to answer your question, we're working on all of those different types of digital products, physical and what we call digital, which is a combination of, of Ooh, I the like two. That. I think, you know, all of that together are things in the end where our consumers want to shop, where want to experience, we have to innovate and hopefully delight them with new services. Is that a, is that an original? A fit, the term fidgetal is that a L'Oreal original term? Because that's so perfect to describe this nexus of the yeah. digital and the, and the physical reality. <laughs> I'm not sure we coined it. I wouldn't be so uh, so <laughs> arrogant to say that, but I think right. uh, I'll it's something you, I'll we talk about right internally. Right <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. We can uh, trademark it's first it. Time, it's the first. It's the first time I've heard it, and it, it fits so perfectly with the themes that you're talking about. I I want to get back yeah. to that Microsoft Teams example for a moment because we've all used yeah. you know Microsoft Teams or Zoom or something, and you you get a, somebody does the filter where they've got a silly pirate hat on and it, it kind of stays on their head and then they move around and it doesn't. Obviously, if you're talking about something like like makeup, it's obviously very personal and you're doing it in order, not as a gag, but to look professional. How good is it? What have people's experiences been mm. with that? Is it, is, it, is it truly a replacement for, I'm just running between meetings, I, I got to work out right after this, so I'm just going to do the digital makeup thing. Can you, can you go one level deeper on that product? Yeah, I think, you know, um, it's, it starts with when we first launched Makeup Genius and which was the first virtual makeup mirror in 2014. So this has been almost 10 years in the making. Mm -hmm. We acquired a tech um, company called Modiface that's a leader in AR for makeup. Um, and, um, over the last 10 years, the way we've approached digital makeup has been the same way we approach our physical products in terms of testing. And I'll tell you what it means. Today, when we test a physical product, we actually apply it on people from very light to very dark skin tones in different countries, and we test the um, accuracy of our products physically. We did the exact same digitally. What we did was we had a whole bunch of different setups of cameras where people would, with different skin tones, would apply physically the makeup products, and then we would compare them to what it actually looked like on the physical product. And this is an mm -hmm. enormous amount of science and work that goes into it. But we took the approach from day one that we don't want to build filters. We want to build a digital makeup experience. And so yeah. by doing that, we're now at a point where I can answer your question, which is, 
when you are on teams, there's a, a very high level of accuracy that the product that you are actually using digitally will be the same um, when you actually physically apply the product later um, or very close to the same. And so um, this has been over 10 years of work and, and um, modeling that has gone into it. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we're excited to bring this to hundreds of millions of people um, because we do believe very much in the accuracy of the technology. I myself am a scientist. I'm sitting inside the research um, organization for a reason, for that exact reason, to not compromise yeah. the quality. It's so fascinating to see how this work that you've been doing for a decade is now paying off in things like Microsoft Teams call. I'm not even sure the product Microsoft Teams was around. I guess Skype was around, uh, which Microsoft yeah. owns. I don't know if they owned it in 2012 back then. But the what's it's just interesting to see these kind of things come to fruition. Obviously, you couldn't have known about the pandemic. Were, were you were you anticipating like there's going to be an explosion of video calls? Were you, were you even building it for that reason? And I guess what I'm getting at is what are some of the things that you're kind of playing around with now? What are some of the assumptions that you're making about the next 10 years about how people are going to want to interact with each other and with your products? Because it seems like uh, you, you made some some correct bets in the past. So we want to hear what your bets are for the future. <laughs> Well, we've made some correct bets. I, I won't say all of them have been correct because I've been doing this for over a decade. So it would be a, a definitely not true if I told you that we haven't um, uh, done test and learn and one of them is learning. Um, but yeah. I would say that, you know, when it comes to um, to where we've done it right, I think we didn't anticipate the, uh, at all what would happen in terms of um, a boom in video calls when we did uh, make up genius in 2014 but we did understand that the world was becoming more digital and that people um, deserved the ability to virtually try something before they buy it and i think that then was propelled uh, you know as a result of the unfortunate pandemic um and it keeps and, and when you start with that i think that our technologies have and our pro services have lasted a long time. And, and I'll use the example of our recent um, launch of ColorSonic. You know, um, we were the first inventors of the hair color dye in the salon over 100 years ago. We were one of the first inventors of the hair color dye at home 50 years ago. For 50 years, the formulas have gotten better, but people have still had to mix it like they're a chemist at home. It's messy. Mm -hmm. They have to use gloves. It's not easy to do it. Um, and so around seven years ago, we thought, well, we have to make this process easier. And we and invented in-house a technology that mixes the dye and the color and just applies like a brush, um, easy without any of that stress that people have. And then when the pandemic happened, it did give this kind of acceleration to people um, wanting to have these kinds of more easy services at home to do these challenging things. Um, and so what I mean to say is like, you know, it's not like we're looking, trying to foresee what will happen in the world in the future. I think we're trying to solve um, some of these challenges that um, have been really hard to solve before. Um, and when you do that, it usually you find that they last a long time um, if you do it the right way. And so through all these years, we've learned to, you know, figure out now, mm -hmm. I think, better and better what those right mm -hmm. challenges are. So what's your current cutting edge? What are the technologies or scientific or digital or otherwise that you're kind of pushing right up against or that you're eagerly anticipating someone else having a breakthrough in an adjacent industry so that you can apply it in yours? Oh, um, well, I think there are a number of them. I mean, now more and more we find that the future of beauty lies at the intersection of 
um, many new kinds of um, areas of, of science. And um, one of them is like health. When you look at health and wellness, today we have, you know, an exclusive and really important partnership with Verily, which is the health division of Alphabet that allows us to um, build um, clinical studies of the future so we can understand the biology of of people related to beauty and give them the best product, not just now, but over time, and to help us predict um, and to give people um, kind of an, a management system around their beauty. Um, we're looking more and more of that combination of AI and physical electronics allowing us magical experiences. Like maybe one day you'll be able to um, achieve all your beauty or makeup results with just having a, you know, a pair of glasses that just does everything for you. Like we saw in the movie Fifth mm -hmm. Element year, 20 years ago, for those of you that remember that I'm <laughs> old enough to remember. Um, and I Great think, um, you know, thank you. Exactly. And I think, you know, um, this kind of um, hyper personalization, which is what I was mentioning um, there, it, it's also just an example of this idea that we'll be able to um, have a, a a two-way street kind of conversation with people around data, around what they need, and to be able to give them the right product faster and more effectively. So I think that comes in in industries like AI and deep tech. So, um, and then even more like sustainability, um, we've launched our projects around water saving today, and how um, you know our water saver project we unveiled at CS a few years ago, which saves sixty percent of water in the salons without at all. Um, compromising the experience of, of feeling that that pressure of water that you enjoy. Um, so all of these areas, sustainability tech, green tech, um, AI in combination with electronics and um, health and wellness are going to build, you know, really exciting services that we believe will um, create great experiences for our consumers in the future. Well, I, I don't want to ask you for any spoilers, but I do uh, really appreciate this uh, potential preview of interesting ideas and themes that might come up in the CES keynote that your CEO will be delivering at CES 2024. And Give, we just really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us today on CES Tech Talk. Thank you so much, James. It's a pleasure. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me. Well, that's our show for now, but there's always more tech to talk about. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a moment. And you can get even more CES and prepare for Vegas at ces.tech. That's ces.tech. Our show is produced by Nicole Vitovich and Mason Manuel, recorded by Eric Kirkland and edited by Third Spoon. I'm James Kotecki, talking tech on CES Tech Talk.